0: Uh, This morning, we're turning to the book of Proverbs. Um, I'll turn the lights on so you can see your Bibles. Go there uh, now, and as you kind of flip there to uh, Proverbs 26, we're continuing to learn about biblical peopling. Biblical peopling. Uh, It's a concept that is all over the Bible. I kind of initiated it a little bit last week as I was up here in Uh, The concept in biblical terms, as you see uh, it across the scriptures, is really this concept of love, love for one another. Love for your brothers and sisters in Christ is that proof that you belong to Christ himself. If you belong to Christ, then it will be evident in your love for one another. Uh, one verse seems to make this most clear, at least that uh, I can think of. There are several. Um, but uh, John 13:34 and 35. Uh, in it, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And listen to this part. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is the the trademark sign, this is the badge, this is that indicator that you are with Christ, is love for one another. Your love for one another stands out more than anything, it's in in, uh, animal terms. You think of different animals, the things that are very obvious uh, that go along with those animals. Uh, The acts of love for the body, like we're talking about here, is really the stripes to the zebra, the neck to the giraffe. The horn to the rhino or the unicorn, you know, whichever you prefer. Uh, and it is that thing that is the, the trademark sign of that, uh, that animal. Spots to the leopard, feathers to the bird. It is love for one another that shows that you are a believer of Christ and that you belong to him. Now, in our study last week of Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 and 24... Uh, we kind of covered a, a few different things that talked about how to people well, how to relate to people well, the way that God has called us to relate to people. And you might have walked away from last weekend if you were here or if you tuned in or if, uh, if you've been listening in, thinking to yourself, okay, um, stop being so shy and distant from people. Um, that is motivated by selfishness, or it could be a, a very evident that it's uh, motivated by selfishness. In my peopling... And the way I relate to people, make sure that I'm not just trying uh, to find my identity in people and go too far and think that it's a popularity contest or something like that. It's the quality of friends that I need in my life, not the quantity. And some of you might have walked away thinking, so what does that mean about all those people who are not my friends? What about my foes? What about my enemies? Should I shut all of them out? Because clearly they're not good quality friends. And they're not the ones I want to be surrounding myself with. And I even had someone, the first person to ask me a question last week after the sermon, asked a question about, what about my enemies? Now that's a very good question. Well, I want to add to this defining mark of a Christian and help you see that there's actually another mark that accompanies that. And it is really one and the same, but it needs to be filled out a little bit more completely. Jesus pointed to another defining mark, on us, that indicates that we are his. So we are true believers. In Matthew 5, 30, uh, 43 to 47, and uh, he says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, we've talked about that, and then hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise and on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet only your brothers what more are you doing than others do not even the gentiles do the same do you hear it do you see it here a defining characteristic of if you are in Christ, if you are, belong to Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, you not only know how to people well with the family of Christ and those who are close, um, closer than a brother, those true friends in the Lord, but you also have love for your enemies. And you care about and you pray for those who make your life difficult to follow after Christ. Not just the ones that stand behind you in life and support you. And you go, yeah, this is my close group of friends in the Lord. I'm ready for this Christian thing. But also those who stand in front of you, opposing you. You look at them also with love. You look at them with love. It says, if we are sons of our Father who is in heaven, then we will love the lost like he does. God loves the lost. He doesn't love them unto salvation, but he loves them in so many different ways that every every day they are shown kindnesses that they don't deserve. And that is really should be a trademark of our peopling as well. That those who are close to us, we should be able to stick close to and enjoy that close camaraderie, that close fellowship, that close friendship that is biblical and right and good and healthy. But we should also be looking at the people who are against us, those who are unbelievers, those who are ultimately against the Lord, and be able to know how to rightly relate to them. So biblical peopling, I keep using that term, maybe it'll stick, maybe you guys will hate me for it, I don't know. But biblical peopling calls us to engage the fool, to engage the fool with words of truth and the love of Christ. That's what we want to talk about. So if last week was biblical peopling with friends, this week is about our relationships with our foes uh, or fools. Okay, We'll be asking three questions I think are very essential and very helpful in order to learn how to live skillfully in the fear of the Lord in our relationships with the lost. Um, This is something that, as Chris Steyer and I talked about, what things we wanted to uh, teach on over these couple of weeks here, as we're filling in for Ken. um, One of the things that he and I have just a a shared heart in is uh, that our church would grow in our love for the lost. And I really, truly believe these things are connected. Our love for one another is related to the way that we love others who are unbelievers. But if we are imbalanced as a church... And we have learned to just love the people who are easy for us to love, love the people who already believe all the same things as we do, love the people who are supporters of us and all the things that we say and the decisions that we make, and we've just found our comfort there, then we're going we're gonna to be challenged to know how to approach those who think differently than us. And that is uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. That is hard, it's challenging to know how to love those who think very differently than us, who have different convictions, who have different world views than us. But it is our desire to encourage the body, encourage this fellowship to be lovers of people indiscriminately, to love those who are around us in the faith and to love those who stand against us in their folly, in their foolishness. Well, if you remember from last week, uh, we talked about how the motto of the book of Proverbs is found at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 7. It's almost as if Solomon, who's writing this book, wants to make sure you didn't miss it. You found it at the beginning. Uh, As we approach the book of Proverbs, it's like walking down a little dirt path, and you see something glowing at the end. Uh, You know that it's valuable. You're not sure what it is or how to approach it, but as you get closer down that path, you realize that you can't access it. And you can't get to it and fully understand what's in it until you have picked up the key on the path. And the key has been presented right here in the first verses. The fear fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So you want to happen upon knowledge? You want to enter upon this, this wonder of God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs? You need something. You need to fear the Lord. That's what comes first, and that's what comes at the end, beginning and end. Your relationship with God, if it is in right, if you're in right relationship with God, then you will understand how to take the wisdom of the book of Proverbs and to put it into play in your life. If, however, you're not in right relationship to God and you don't fear him and you love your sin more than you love him and you're going on living in life, leaning on your own understanding and not on his word or living in unconfessed sin, showing that you think God think sin is trivial and not that big of a deal, then you will not be able to grow in wisdom. You will only go on in further degrees of folly and foolishness. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. Fools hear wisdom and they belittle it. They scoff at it. They they undercut it. And they do that to us when we talk about the wisdom of God's word. They say, I can't believe you think that. Can't believe you would be grouped with those kinds of people who think those things, right? So the motto of the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. And the definition of wisdom, what we're after in this book, the definition of wisdom, short definition, is that skillful living in the fear of the Lord. Skillful living in the fear of the Lord. I hope that's something you can take with you, something that you can memorize, something you can remember. And when someone talks with you about wisdom, one of those definitions that maybe uh, pops to the front of your head is that skillful living in the fear of the Lord. And what we're talking about here is wisdom dealing with people. So we're talking about being skillful with people. It demands a certain kind of skill. It's it's learned in time, and a lot of these things are, are things that we can look at and see. Uh, I've, I've had to grow in that area of my peopling. Um, I've retreated a lot of times there, but maybe I've needed to go into that. Uh, I've held bitterness rather than uh, forgiving uh, or whatever that might be, but we need skillful living, and the only way we can do that is if we fear the Lord, putting him first. He is God, and we are not, and he has revealed his will, and we have it. And we have sin, and he's pardoned it. And he's called us to live lives of fearing him and growing in the fear of him because we have been forgiven. So let's deal with the fool. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. We're just looking at two verses. It says this, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Isn't it fun when you find verses in the Bible that black and white clearly contradict each other? And then you can just throw out the rest of the Bible because there's contradictions in it. Now this is not a contradiction. But I love this tension, and this is why we're capturing these two verses. It was similar to last week, why we looked at Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 24, it seemed that there was a kind of tension or a balancing act of something that we need to get here. So I I think that this will be helpful for us. The first question that we're going to ask is, uh, who is the fool? All right, so engage the fool. Who is the fool? We're going to talk about him for a second. The fool spoken of here is mentioned in both verses. Answer not a fool, answer a fool. That's who we're talking about. Uh, clearly the term fool is not a positive connotation, uh, unless if you're like, sup fool, and you know, you kind of take it that way. <laughs> um, and I guess friends talk to each other that way, um, in a lighthearted way. But most contexts, the word fool is negative, and, uh, and there is not a positive way of, of hearing this or using this, necessarily. The scriptures talk about the fool in a lot of different ways, uh, in a lot of different verses, just a few from the Proverbs. Uh, as we've already covered in Proverbs 1.7, that fool despises or belittles wisdom and instruction. And It's because why? Because he's elevated and, and come to value something else, other ways of thinking and living. Those things uh, seem more right to him than this wisdom and instruction from the Word of God. Proverbs 1.22 and 29, the fool chooses not to fear the Lord. It's not that he doesn't know how to or can't or is unable to. He chooses, actually, to not fear the Lord. That's what the fool does. He's full aware of what he is doing, and he is choosing it with his own will. The fool is right in his own eyes, like Proverbs twelve fifteen says. It makes sense to him, so he does it. It makes sense to him, so he says it. And that's his gauge of whether or not he does it or says it or lives it or thinks it or believes it, if it makes sense to him. Right in his own eyes. The fool gets into trouble with his speech. The fool is dangerous to be near. The fool will face trouble, hardship, and ruin in life. The fool, like Proverbs 8.5 says, is not without hope. The fool says in his heart, however, in Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. That's what's going on in the, in the heart of the fool. The first thought that governs all the other thoughts is that there is no God. And in doing so, thinking that and, and suppressing the truth that he knows to be true about God and exchanging that truth for a lie, what he's doing is elevating himself. His own opinions, his own wisdom, his own way of appraising and approaching life. And he elevates that instead. The fool walks in darkness. Um, Isaiah describes the fool quite well. He says, For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity. That's the business that he's in, is iniquity. The iniquity business. Not annuities, iniquities. Uh, uh, To practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord... To leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and to deprive the thirsty of drink. That's Isaiah 32.6. You get a sense of who this fool is, how he speaks, how his heart works, what he practices, how he utters things, who he leaves behind, who he deprives of things that they need. And I want to just think for a second before we um, start to think of other people as fools. I want to pause, hit the brakes. See, the lights kind of glow and kind of slow down. Okay, let's remember something about the fool. You know the fool. Not because that's someone that's in your house, someone that's across the street, someone that's on the road, obviously, uh, someone that's at school, someone that's at work. You know who the fool is because you were yourself a fool at one point. Can we all acknowledge that? Can we all embrace that as true, that we all were fallen and fools at one point until God intervened and gave us the wisdom that brought us to salvation? And I think we can look at this and be honest about this and not, not look at our lives and say, well, yeah, there are times where I made mistakes. Sure, okay, you got me. Or, oh, yeah, I haven't done everything right. I mean, sure, you know, that's a gimme." No, we're talking about actually looking at your heart and remembering a time when you were opposed to God. And, you, and you, you didn't want the things of God to be true. You actually wanted other things to be true. And you thought so highly of yourself that you actually became that rival king, that rival queen, whatever you, fits you, against the kingdom of God. And, and your way went, not his you were wise in your own eyes, and you liked it, and you thought it got you good things. And you tried, and you tried, but th- you, you, you were broken down by the kindness and patience of the Lord. He broke you down. And you realized you came to the end of yourself, and you admitted at that point of conversion, I'm not a good king. I'm not fit for this. I can't do this. I'm the fool, actually. And the things that I thought about Christianity and Jesus that I thought were foolish before, I've come to view those things as unparalleled in wisdom. Nothing like them. True and wise through and through. So I want to be very upfront that before we start talking about how we answer the fool, we need to remember that we too were once a fool. And there might be some who sit here today living a fake life or a go-to-church-only, uh, in appearance kind of life where that could be said about you today. That you're still the fool, fighting against God rather than living for God. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were enemies of him. He made us friends of him. So we need to understand this because this helps us as we begin to think about how we're going to engage the fool I want to talk with you about how to engage the fool, but I don't want you to forget that you once were a fool and that if you are not careful and you start to walk in the deeds of the flesh and you start to live like who you used to be before Christ transformed your heart, you remember those foolish deeds of darkness that you did. They're still tempting to you at times and we're called to be careful that we don't walk in the foolishness that we once walked in like Ephesians 4 talks about. So we need to be humble, not arrogant. We need to look at the fool, not looking down our nose at them going, oh, yeah, they're the wrong ones and we're the right ones. You know, pff, let's talk about fools. This will be fun, like a jester, you know, or something. Um, and uh, and, and that's, that's not where we need to start. We need to be very careful that we start with where the Bible starts and that if it weren't for the grace of Christ that has rescued us and saved us, we would still be that fool In a rival kingdom, living in God's world our way, rather than living in God's world his way. You know, this this one point really helps me to think about how I approach people who are still fools, darkened in their mind, and opposed to God. It helps me have more compassion for them. It helps me not to look at them pridefully and think, I can't believe you think that. No, actually, I can believe that they think that. Because I used to think things just like that. And if I'm not careful walking in the spirit, then I can start to think things just like that. And so it helps me look at them as someone who's also in need of grace. A sinner in need of grace just like I was. Not elevating myself above them. And we need to look at them and understand that their greatest need is not the rearrangement of things in their life. But as a new heart so they can go from being a fool to the one who is wise. The wisdom of Christ. Let's talk about the the folly. Let's talk about the folly. Okay, What is his folly? You see that in verse 4 and in verse 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly. And then beginning of verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly. Well, what is this? We need to talk about this for a second, and then we'll get into how to answer him. Both of the verses talk about it. According to his folly, or in kind with his folly, uh, there's kind of like a line A, line B for each of these verses. So line A in both verses is very similar with just the one word that's different, not. And so it changes the, the meaning, what it's directing us to do, has primarily, his, his folly has primarily to do with his thought process, His thought process, his belief structure. His belief structure. You might immediately think, oh, the, the folly of the fool? Well, it's when he did this, said that, acted this way, and made a buffoon of himself in front of all these people. And we point to the actions first, right? Now, you know better than that. Actions don't just come because you are in an environment that caused them. Those actions come from behaviors. Those behaviors come from beliefs that are deeper. that are in the inner man. And so what we're talking about about his folly is fundamentally the thought process and the belief structure of the unbeliever. It's his worldview. That helps us look at the verse again uh, and think about it a little bit more fully and, and where it's directing us to go. Answer, talking about giving thoughts or responses to. Answer not a fool according to his folly, according to his fallen belief structure, according to his darkened thought process, according to his unbiblical worldview. That's what his folly is. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. We all do. And uh, what is a worldview? Well, it could be likened to having prescription glasses in front of your eyes always. Helps you see the world around you. Kind of sticking with the a literal sense of the word there, worldview. view. Right, it's how you view the world. It's how you think about it. It's how you look at politics and make explanations and talk about hope. It's how you look at human need and be able to describe the actual deepest needs of man. It's how you look at things in life and make sense of them. And how you talk about them, how you view them. And so you might find that this is how you talk with people. You could talk about their day. You could talk about their dress. You could talk about their work. You could talk about their uh, experiences in that day or that week or that month and catch up with them. But as soon as you start having conversations that go deeper, then you're starting to get into the worldview and how they start to think more deeply about those things in their life. So not just what they do, but how they think about what they do. Why they do what they do. Gets into the motives, gets into the heart level of where that person is. And, and so having your vision corrected is, is what a worldview does. It, it helps you to, to change the way that you view things. When you are a believer, you realize how bad your vision is on the world. And you become a believer and you realize, I, I, my, I've been blind. <laughs> Doctor told me, yeah, you're blind as a bat. You need these. put these on, and that's what happens when you become saved, is you put on a biblical way of thinking, and that biblical way of thinking and believing starts to correct your eyesight and help you start to look at the world differently and explain things differently. So it gets into the beliefs, values, thoughts, even the presuppositions of the heart of the person. Very deep. People come into conversations with thoughts already formed, Right? And you're wondering why you're not agreeing. And you're like, there must be something that they believe that I haven't figured out yet. I, I want to get down to that level. And that's what we're talking about. It's, it's a worldview. Also like, uh, it's also like a tree. Uh, you've got the, the, what you can see on the surface, right? The branches, the trunk. Uh, there's life on the tree, typically, if it's alive. Uh, and there's fruit that's born. Well, your beliefs and and those things that are below the surface is likened to the root structure. And the root structure, if it's healthy and it's reaching the nutrients it needs and it's fed by uh, the water that it needs and all of that, then it will be reflected on the surface. If it has a bad root structure or shallow ground or it hasn't found enough nutrients in that soil to live, then what's above the surface will die. And so there is, even in the way that God created basic things like plants and trees, we can learn things about how he has created his world in a spiritual way. The fool has a dying and decaying root structure, and he has ceased to bear fruit. So you just see bad fruit on the tree, and you don't just want to talk with them about their bad fruit. You want to address the real problem which involves going deeper, growing deeper. But it's difficult. It's difficult. Proverbs 27:22 says, Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. Ah, oh, man, you can't, you can't beat it out of him. You can't smash him enough to get him to separate from his folly. He latches onto it. It's who he is. It's how he works. It's so deep in there. It's in the heart of him. How do I get it out of them? Some parents thinking, I've been trying to do that with my kids ever since they were born. Try to mortar and pestle the folly out of them. You know, just, just, how can I separate it from, and it's, and they're a, a fool. So they, that's who, that's how they think, that's how they live, that's how they discuss things and, and debate things is, is with their worldview that needs the gospel to have the light shine into the darkness and give them a new heart so that they can begin to reason according to the Bible, then their life starts to change above the surface. So when it says answer not, or it says to answer a fool according to his folly, it means to discuss, have discussions, uh, debate, have debates, uh, or engage the fool on a level where his worldview is in mind. Where you're thinking about, okay, how can we get down to the worldview of this person that I'm talking with? It means asking and addressing heart level questions, deeper questions, the thought level, the belief level, the presupposition level, kind of going there, deeper. it takes skill to do that. That's why wisdom helps you to do that. Skillful living in the fear of the Lord. I'm working with this kid. I'm working with this person. I'm working with this neighbor. I can't seem to understand why they're living the way that they are. Well, I need wisdom to go deeper into my relationship with them to help them see some of those things the way that the Bible exposes them in a loving way. Now I want to think about this for a second. Maybe you are someone who regularly does this. You feel comfortable talking, talking at a deeper level. Uh, maybe it relates to last week and saying, uh, actually, I, I don't do this well. I retreat a lot uh, from people in general. Uh, but man, for sure people who are different than me and believe differently than me, think differently than me, I want you to think of a time recently um, where you have had conversations about ultimate questions, big questions, life questions, eternity questions, spiritual matters, those kind of things. And maybe you remember that it felt like what they were saying was foreign to you, like you were two different languages, going, man, I hear what they're saying, but that's that's not how I think. Uh, maybe you engaged them or maybe they engaged you. Maybe it was online. That happens a lot, right? You're like, okay, here we go. Uh, comment, 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 comment. And we're just going deeper and deeper into some debate or maybe it's more, you know, more public than that. But you got these flags flying up in your head going, oh, the, way, the what they said there, that's coming from an unbiblical worldview because, and you can start to expose that and see that, where that's coming from. Now, what you do about that or how you go about addressing that is, is where wisdom comes in for you to be able to know how to do that. But your mind is engaged when you start to hear people's worldview at play. And you start thinking about it. I was on the, the sidelines um, uh, with a soccer dad, and he and I were sitting on the bench watching our daughters play soccer. And I know this is a particular guy that I've wanted to talk with about deeper things. I know him at a surface level enough, and so I'm like, we gotta go deeper. And so I'm. Uh, sometimes you might think of the phrase as turning the corner. So I'm just going the same surface level. Way. Turn the corner at some point. Go deeper with them, right? So uh, we were talking about all kinds of things. It, of course, it went into politics, but we tried to, you know, dip out of that. But but it actually helped because uh, even hearing him talk about politics, I started to think about how he views like ultimate. Uh, things like objective truth or subjective truth or where that comes from or morality. Where does morality come from? How do you base that on anything if it isn't the Bible? And uh, we started talking about his daughter, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fine with her going to church. And, uh, you know, my, where we're at as parents is, you know, we don't want to, you know, cram, you know, dogma or doctrine down her throat. We want her to be able to figure it out for herself. So we want her to be able to to see and to hear all the different, you know, things. And, and we want her to decide and kind of pick where she wants to go. You know, and some people today can say, yeah, right answer, right? <laughs> and you might think kind of like, uh, well, wait, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Um, so we just started talking. And, I, again, I didn't, like, stand up and, like, look down at, you know. But we started talking about this. And I'm going, okay, well, you know, so as, as dad, do you kind of, like, talk with her about some of those things that she has heard or, you know, would you draw the line anywhere? What if she wants to get involved in a religion that involves things like terrorism? He goes, Whoa, whoa, I'd draw the line somewhere. Okay, like, okay, so let's talk about lines drawn. Why? Why do you draw a line there? You know, and, and it just was it was a very healthy exchange. It wasn't heated or, you know, angry, but we were clearly disagreeing. And and I was trying to you know get him to think a little bit more thoughtfully about his parenting and how it was not actually helpful for his daughter. He thought he was doing the right thing for his daughter, and a lot of people would say that. But actually, that's folly, and the Bible says that there's a wise way that's different than that. Our children need to hear the truth from the scriptures. That's what they need to hear. So that as they grow up in God's world, they understand how things work in God's ways. And That's one entry point, but I hope that you can be thinking about different ways that you can engage the folly of men. Now, let's talk about The third question, how should the fool be answered? How should the fool be answered? Um, Now, first of all, I want to say this as I kind of made a remark earlier um, that this verse almost kind of stands out as one that you're like, well, wait, this seems like it's an obvious, very clear contradiction in Scripture, and so this kind of makes me not really trust the reliability of the Bible. Well, um, in history, uh, these two verses were actually kind of talked about as for a reason why Proverbs may not be actually in the completed canon of Scripture um, because it was uh, such a debate and a matter of de- debating. Uh, but with proper handling, you understand there's not a contradiction here. Um, it's really kind of they're juxtaposed to each other. They're kind of set um, uh, almost looking at two different sides of something in a way to, to prove a point that actually comes across more more um, potent, more, more powerful. Um, there was a guy named Pythagoras who taught his students to, to, to think that way and to learn um, uh, maxims for life in a way that involved uh, looking at things where they were, almost looked like they were just flat-out contradictions, uh, but it actually proved a point to really help. And uh, we might have heard some of these or used even some of these in, in life, not from the Scriptures, and they're kind of humorous, some of them. Um, like, for instance, um, you're never too old to learn but you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Right? So it's kind of, okay, which one is it, right? Uh, many hands make light work, but too many cooks uh, spoil the broth. I don't know, something Cooks in the kitchen, that kind of thing. All right, um, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I've heard that one. Versus out of sight, out of mind. Um, uh, better, better safe than sorry versus nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, look before you leap. And he who hesitates is lost. So you've got all kinds of these things uh, that that we kind of have heard or maybe kind of think about. Um, But I want to share up front that I really think these verses help us understand um, a a really beautiful truth I want you to take with you today. Um, And I'm going to say it up front here that Solomon is not talking so much about if you should talk to a fool, but how you should talk to the fool. I need you to understand that because as I've poured over this passage and, and, uh, and thought through it and read different commentaries on it, some commentaries will, will tell you, well, depending on the situation, you apply one verse or the other. And what I'm saying is, uh, depending on the situation, you apply both verses. But both verses help you and guide you through in each of those conversations. And so it's not so much about... If you should answer the fool, but how and why you should answer the fool. It's not an either or. Oh, is this one of those verse 4 situations? Because she said that. Or is this one of those verse 5 situations? Because this situation arose. Uh, No, I think it's both and. I think it's both and. We don't get to make up some criteria. And this was common. Even uh, Jewish rabbis did this. uh, And they would say things like, Verse 4 pertains to foolish comments that can be ignored. Verse 5 refers to erroneous ideas that must be corrected, When they try to kind of fit it that way. Um, But uh, I think we need to be ready to defend the truth of the scriptures in the presence of the fool always, and this wisdom here guides us as to what that answer will be. Answer will be. Let me give you two ways of looking at this. There's an unfitting answer, and there's a fitting answer. Okay, so uh, let's talk now here about that. The unfitting answer, the unfitting answer. When you relate to him, the fool, in such a way that you validate his worldview. It's kind of what this verse is talking about in verse 4. We tend to really compromise on two levels when it says, lest you be like him yourself. It's almost kind of like saying, hey, don't answer a fool in the way that he's thinking or else you're going to contaminate and kind of become just like him the way he's reasoning. You accepted some of his presuppositions. You accepted some of the ways that he he viewed life and approached life, and you you started to level with him there. And what's happening is you're validating his worldview rather rather than showing the biblical worldview, which stands in opposition to it. And so we have to be careful here that we don't become uh, like him yourself. And we do this in two ways uh, in our in our thinking. And in our tactics, really. So don't become like him in your thinking. Don't become like him in your tactics, uh, in your message, and in your method, if you prefer M's. Right? So um, looking at this for a second, you're, you're thinking about, okay, well, answer not a fool according to his folly. This is not saying don't talk to a fool. This is saying don't talk to a fool in a certain way. Does that make sense? All right? So uh, lest you become like him yourself. So, when you're validating his foolish way of thinking, to almost maybe relate to him more, uh, level with him a little bit, and maybe concede some things so that you have, co- you have common ground, or, or, oh, no, I know what you're talking about. I've struggled with that too. You know, or, or we kind of like maybe compromise in our biblical convictions sometimes just so that we can relate to somebody better. You have to be careful. If you start compromising on your convictions that are from God's word just to try to relate to somebody better, you become like the fool. You revert back to a former version of yourself that used to live in a way that didn't depend on the scriptures so much and, and you become like him. And We have to be careful about this. We have to uphold and hold on to our convictions from God's word. Those are things that are formed by the spirit of God inside our minds, inside our heart. And it helps us to be more prepared to answer them rightly and point them to the truth that will set them free. It doesn't serve them for us to yield absolute truth to their thoughts and their relativism. People say things like, Jesus wasn't really clear about his teaching on homosexuality, so can't really be dogmatic about that. And you're kind of like thinking... Oh my head right now. Um, you're like, hold on. Let's let's. Can we just look at the Bible together? Can we just open that up and look at that together? Uh, don't just kind of you know agree with them and, and kind of go, oh yeah, okay, okay. You know, oh sure, sure, I'll give you that. You know, um, or as long as our aim is love, there's no real uh, no no real wrong way. You're kind of thinking, ah uh, no. Again, I think you're talking about something, but then you're talking about it in 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 a way that's a perversion of that truth. My faith is between me and God. Your faith is between you and God. No, it doesn't work that way. Or people don't want to hear about sin and judgment and hell. It's so off-putting. You go to one of those churches, right, and you're like, uh, no, no, no. No, we no, we don't. We're not. Wait, hold on. <laughs> no, yeah, we talk about sin and judgment and hell because God does. But we don't talk about it in a way that's so Imbalance, off-putting in a way that's just kind of like, "Hey, let me leave you with no grace, too." Is that fun? Uh, No, we go to the gospel with it. We go to the hope that's in Christ with it. Uh, And so many people might look at Lakeside and say, "Wow, you're that kind of church." Talk about people that are like that, that kind of way. Like, hey, hold on, let's let's fill that out more biblically. Don't compromise. So the only way to be more prepared to answer not a fool according to his folly and become like him in his ways is to, is to just depend on the scriptures more. That's really what it is. Guys, keep studying the Bible. You get stumped and someone's asking you hard questions. You feel a little tempted to like go, uh, which way should I go with this? Go back to the word. Ask the Lord. God, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know science. I, I want to understand these things better. God, help me. Maybe go meet with someone who's a discipler. Talk to a pastor, reach out to a counselor, talk to someone who's more mature than, than you in the faith, and they'll, they'll help you build your foundation of Scripture to be able to come back and say, hey, I've given your, your question some thought, and, and I, have, I have done some research on that. I want to talk to you about uh, maybe my answer. It's a little bit more fully formed now. That's okay. That's okay. Know the Scriptures better. Even in your quiet time when you're reading and you walk away throughout the rest of your day and go, man, I don't know what that's going to do to help me. And, and you just kind of leave it there in that kind of mystery category of knowledge or something. Oh, just you wait. God loves to draw on things like that. You get into things that you have no clue that are coming up. And you go, you know what? The other day I was reading about something. It kind of relates to what you're talking about, right? So get into the scriptures. Depend on them. Lean on them. Know that this is truth from God for life in God's world and living His way. They'd be more prepared. Um, the second level uh, upon which we tend to compromise is, is the tactics, right? Not just our teaching, but our tactics. You can start to become like them in a way that you get irritated. Oh, I'm so frustrated with this person. The way that they talk to me, ugh, and it, what does it start to do? It starts to make you become just like them. And so you, get, you respond with uh, the insults that they give to you. You respond with insults. Uh, they degrade you somehow, and you degrade them. And you just start to fight on their level. And what does it do? It doesn't make you look any different than them. Why would they step away and go, That was such an otherworldly interaction I had with that person. What they have to say was probably true. No, they're going to walk away going, That person's just like me. And I think I got him. You know? That's what they're going to think. validating they're validating, You're gonna, by compromising not only your, your convictions biblically, but also the way that you live. In your conduct with them, you can lead them to believe that their worldview is valid, and they can continue to go on thinking the things they do, believing the things they do, and living that way. Um, a wonderful verse in the New Testament. First Peter 3:15. let's gets into this topic of apologetics, making a defense for the Christian faith. First Peter 3:15 says, "But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy." always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you hey why do you yeah why do you go to church what does that do for you why do you read your bible what's really in there why don't you sleep around why don't you party and do these things why aren't you missing out and they're asking you questions and they're saying give me a reason and here it says always be ready to give a response. And in verse 16, says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's what we're talking about here. Don't become like the fool in his folly, but do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Good conscience, meaning I know this to be true. Right now, I'm tempted to kind of like say some things that'll just kind of give me an easier out. No, your conscience won't allow It, it says, no, stick to what's true. Trust in the Lord. It could be the harder path in my mind, but the Lord's going to work it out. And it says, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. They can look back on it and go, I hate that person. Now, we totally viewed things differently. And we argued for like, you know, this long. They might think of it as an argument. You're just talking with them, <laughs> gracious thing, and kind of. And, and, and they look at that, but then they look at your life, and what, what's backing it up is good behavior, not bad behavior. Not someone who's easily angered and argues, like, without control over your body and your mind. And they look at you, and they're going to be put to shame by the way that you live differently than them. 2 Timothy 2.23 says something similar. It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. It says in verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So even right here, it's a great, uh, help for us to understand how to interpret these two verses in Proverbs, because it says at first I have nothing to do with foolish controversies. All right, so I don't have to talk to the fool. Cool, I'm out. I'm only going to talk to people that are like me. No, the next verse says correcting his opponents with gentleness. So it's it's not if I should talk to them, but it's how I should talk to them. I'm trying to motivate you guys to see how important it is for you to engage with fools. Let's close with a fitting answer now. In Proverbs 26, verse 5, it says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So here we're called to give an answer so that the fool will not feel that he is wise in his own eyes. So this is a fitting answer. And it says, When you you lovingly, graciously help him see the fallacies of his worldview. So wisdom directs us now to answer the fool in such a way that prevents him from thinking that he has won the argument. This may have been something that you have thought of uh, at different times, that you are talking with somebody who is an unbeliever. You're having a discussion with them. And sometimes you might think, oh no, I don't want to sound dumb if I speak up and say the wrong thing. Or maybe you have the thought, well, I, I don't want to to give an answer to this question because it's hard and and I'm afraid that if I give the wrong answer then they'll have the wrong picture of truth, of God. And there is some sincerity in that hesitation to answer the fool. But here the wisdom that is given to us in verse 5 is in order for us to be able to answer so that the fool realizes that his point of view is in error and folly rather than a place of wisdom. And so it's okay to answer uh, uh, biblically according to what you know from God's Word, even if you don't know everything about that's what's being talked about. You give an answer according to wisdom instead of according to folly, according to the Bible, according to what knowledge you do have, and let the Lord use that to confront them and have them realize, Wow, I'm not wise and I actually am the fool. And it will take time for that to set in and for them to realize that what they have been leaning on is their own understanding rather than what you've just shared with them, the truth of God's word. Being wise in one's own eyes is the opposite of the fear of the Lord. So to fear the Lord is to not be wise in one's own eyes. Proverbs 3.7 says this. So it actually benefits the fool to see that he cannot go on living in rebellion against his maker and not fearing the Lord. Bruce Waltke, a a renowned commentator on the book of Proverbs, says, "...the wise person must expose the fool's distortions to serve his own interests at the expense of the community." and must not silently accept it, and thereby contribute to the establishing of his topsy-turvy world, uh, world against the rule of God. An answer that is in agreement with the Lord's wisdom puts the fool's topsy-turvy world right side up, and is so fitting. Now, this verse isn't saying to those of you who go online and spend time reading comments of uh, different social media posts, uh, or tweets uh, to go and go after everything and, uh, and, and charge into every uh, potentially theological discussion with answers and to answer back. Uh, but we are called to consider who is right there in the conversation with us. That person who is engaging us according to their folly and we're in the conversation with them. We have an opportunity to speak and God has given us that opportunity. Ask yourself, who is in the sphere of your influence in life? Look around you. What fools or unbelievers are there around you that God has called you to speak to? To give an answer. To not be silent and let them think that they're wise, but to speak up. And let them see something that is truly wise from God's word. Could be the person that is on the sidelines with you at that sports game. It could be the person who is at work that you have had endless conversations and debates about. Maybe it's the person that you talk with um, when your family gathers. Or it could be that friend who always has a different opinion or a different point of view. Sometimes it could start in politics. It can start in something that is uh, related to what's been on the news it could be something related to critical race theory, or it could be something that uh, even other churches talk about a lot, that we need to join this movement, or we need to stand for this cause. Um, and in those times, we need to consider, Lord, would you have me to speak up with your wisdom? I want to fear you. I don't want to fear man. I want to address and speak the truth. And so we need to engage the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise. In his own eyes. To conclude, we need to understand that this passage is primarily calling us to engage, to engage the fool. Don't cop out with some excuse. Don't be afraid and let fear control you, but let the fear of the Lord control you. Your fear of the Lord will call you into conversation, enter into that arena, speak up when there is no one speaking for God, be that mouthpiece that is bold for the Lord so that his voice can be heard in that conversation, in that relationship, in that arena, at that place. And that's what we're called to do here. And we need to understand something as we close, knowing that our wisdom is Jesus Christ. All over the New Testament, Jesus is that full and perfect, complete embodiment of the wisdom of God. He is the Word of God, the living Word of God. And so when we're trying to think about how we should answer the fool, all we need to do is look to the life of Jesus, look to the person of Jesus, look to who he is, and follow in his footsteps. Answer the way that he answers the fool. Look at just a few verses from Mark Mark 3 verse 4, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Mark 11, 33, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Mark 12, 12, and they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had told them the parable against them so they left him and went away mark 12:34 and when jesus saw that he answered wisely he said to him you are not far from the kingdom of god and that and after that no one dared to ask him any more questions mark 15:5 but jesus made no further answer so that pilate was amazed that's just the book of mark Have fun. Go into the life of Christ. See who is your wisdom. It's a very, very personal, relational pursuit. Going into God's word, finding wisdom, walking in it by faith. You are walking in the exact footprints of Christ, who is perfectly wise. So follow him. Follow him into wisdom in relationships. Do right peopling. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for today. You are a good Good God, and you are great above all gods. So when we look to you, we know that you exist. We look to you and we know that you are separate from sin. We look to you and we know that in our separation from you, you have sent a mediator, someone to redeem and rescue and reconcile us back to you so we could be your friends. And We look to you and we know that you have given to us perfect wisdom to know how to operate in your world your way. We look to ourselves even in our own hearts and see that even though we are saved, born again, we still find this nagging, dragging pole of sin to our old life. But we look to you and we find the strength to say no and to walk in wisdom. And Lord, we look to this world and we look back to you and we look to this world and back to you and you say, go. You say, answer. You say, engage. Engage. You say, give defense. You say, contend. You say, to do it in a way that looks just like Christ. Because this is all, at the end of the day, about him anyway. Lord, help us to depend on him, who is our wisdom, knowing that we are not so wise that we might become worthy of being saved. But we were fools in need of of saving by one who is all wise. And so your wisdom is ours and we walk in it. It is not our our own, but you teach us. So help us to understand how to relate to people well, so that we could bear those marks on us as your true people, those followers of Christ. For you're worthy, Lord. Grow us as a church in this way, that you might be magnified more. In your name, amen.